If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the book of Luke again. We'll be in Luke chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 19 in just a moment. Luke chapter 20 and verse 19. And we're going to pick up in our study again that we've been doing um, in the Gospel of Luke, and we've been doing it for quite some time. We put it on pause briefly because we had Thanksgiving, and then we had Christmas and, and New Year's. And so uh, I just want to jump back into it, but it's been a while, so just uh, I just want to remind you are where we remind you of where we are in the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, early on in Jesus' ministry, way back in chapter five, and we're not going to cover chapters five through twenty in detail today. But you remember, way back in chapter five, Jesus began to get in hot water with religious leaders. You remember, um, he was he was going around, he was healing, he was preaching, he was teaching, doing all these miraculous things. People were flocking to him, and he was in this home, and he was teaching, and some, some guys brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus for healing. You remember that? The, the man, of course, couldn't get there on his own, so his four friends picked up his, his cot, carried him there, but they couldn't get to Jesus because there are all these people in the house, and he was inside teaching, and so they came up with a plan. They, they, they went up to the roof, made a hole in the roof, lowered the man down in front of Jesus for healing. Now, Jesus, you remember, did not immediately heal him. Instead, he initially said to this man, your sins are forgiven. He took care of the man's most important problem, which was not his inability to walk, but rather his sin. Now, um, he did eventually heal him, but his first thing that he did was he said he pronounced his sins forgiven. Now, there were religious leaders there. There were teachers of the law who were sitting there. And when they heard this, they got upset because they rightly knew only God can forgive sins. And who was this man who, who does he think he is to pronounce this man's sins forgiven? Now, if Jesus could forgive, if Jesus was saying this, it means one of two things. Either one, he's just a man, and he doesn't have the power to forgive sins, and he's therefore um, uh, speaking blasphemy because he's claiming to be God. Or two, he actually is God, and therefore he does have the power and the authority to forgive sins. And so Jesus said, well, which is it going to be easier to do? To just simply say your sins are forgiven, or to tell this man to take up his pallet and walk? And of course, the, the, the implied answer to that is it's more difficult to say, take up your pallet and walk, because if I say to somebody, your sins are forgiven, we can't see the results of that. But if I tell a crippled man, get up and walk, and he can do it, that's immediately verifiable. And so Jesus tells this man to get up and walk. He does so and proves, therefore, if he can do the more difficult thing, he can certainly do the easier thing. Now, this was the beginning of, his, of the opposition that Jesus began to face. And so from then on, for about three years, people are coming after Jesus. A lot of people were flocking to Jesus, but there were people who were coming after Jesus as well. And they, they, were, they, they, were, they were trying to trip him up. They were trying to oppose him. And understand, this is not a specific set of men. It's not like Steve and Eric and, and Tom and, and Fred. I mean, these are, these, this is a whole class of people, and they're relentless. And towards the end of his life, their opposition grew exponentially, and at the same time, Jesus is much more in their face about who he is and who he, who he claimed to be. So then in chapter 19, we're going to jump ahead a lot, he rides into Jerusalem, fulfills Old Testament prophecy, showing he is the Messiah, then he drives out the money changers and those who are buying and selling in the temple. And he says, this is, this is my father's house. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. And you made it into a den of thieves. Gets, gets the, the religious leaders all upset. And then in chapter 20, right before this, he really torques them off. He, Jesus has the audacity to tell the people, while the religious leaders are standing there, he tells a parable about a 
wine, uh, not a wine, a vine grower, a man who has a vineyard, and he rents out the vineyard to some vine growers, to, to some people who were supposed to give produce uh, in, in return. And, and this was a parable that talked about the mistreatment of the religious leaders of the prophets and, and the coming mistreatment and murder of Jesus. And Jesus told this about the religious leaders. And what really torqued him off was all the people knew that Jesus was talking about the religious leaders. The religious leaders knew Jesus was talking about them, and they knew that the people knew that Jesus was talking about them. So they got real, real mad. And that's where we pick up in our text today. So if you found uh, Luke chapter 20 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 19 and read down to verse 26. It says, the scribes and chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour. So he's, remember, he's just told this parable. And they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly and are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at his answer, they became silent. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, there are four things I want you to see in our text today. The first is their plan. The first is their plan. Look back at verse 19. Now, like I said, this picks up right where we just left off. Jesus has told this parable. The religious leaders are, are furious. They're desperate to, to trap Jesus. They, they want to kill him. They want to seize him. But they can't do it because he's still surrounded by people who believe that he is a prophet at the least and the Messiah at the best. And these, these people adored him. They, 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 they loved listening to him. And so the people, the, the religious leaders know we can't get him that way. We need to scheme. So they, they form a committee. They, they get together and they concoct a plan. And their plan was, let's send some spies. Now the word that's used here, and it speaks of intrigue, doesn't it? The, the word that's used here has the idea of someone who lies in wait. It speaks of someone who is, who, who is uh, setting an ambush. These people are plotting and, and they carefully craft a question. Because... Nothing that they've been able to do up to this point has tripped Jesus up. He's handled it all with ease. So they've got to come up with some way to trip him up. And so they, they watch and they wait. They debate with each other. They, they figure out and they finally come up with a question. This is the one that's going to get him. This is, this is our magnum opus of questions. This is unanswerable. Unanswerable. Because either way he answers, he's going to get in some trouble. Now, they're going to ask about paying taxes. Now, just to poll, and I know the answer, does anybody here like to pay taxes? Nobody. And I thought it was interesting that this text came up not too long after I received this. Some of you, especially Lawrence County, probably recognize what this is just from the, just from the, the envelope and the, the picture. That is a tax form. Now, it's interesting because... Last month, we just paid our property tax. And then the very next month, I think it is, maybe even the same month, we get another letter from the government saying, you need to tell us what you own 
so that you can pay us for the privilege of owning said item that you paid taxes on when you bought it with money that's already been taxed. That just really ticks me off when I think about it. But anyway, nobody likes paying taxes. And so they, they put this, they say, this is the perfect question. How is it a perfect question? How is it a trick question? Because if he says, yes, you need to pay taxes to Caesar, he would have lost a whole bunch of support. Because all these people thought of him <coughs> excuse me, as, as the Messiah. They thought of him as this religious teacher, and nobody liked this Roman occupation. They were there. They had taken over Israel. They were oppressing the people, and the people of Israel had to pay taxes to him in order for them to do it. So they were paying their oppressors, and nobody liked it. And so if, if, if Jesus said, yeah, that's the thing to do, it would have made a lot of people upset. And on top of that, understand these Israelites... These Jewish people were already paying taxes in their own nation. So this Roman tax was on top of the Jewish tax. And some scholars have estimated that somewhere around 40% of their wages was going out to taxes. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah well, you're, you're not, not too far off the, off the base on that one. And so Jesus, they, they thought, he is going to be stuck. Because if he answers yes... A lot of people are going to reject him. They'll not see him as the Messiah because they expect the Messiah to overthrow Rome. But if he says no, boy, a lot of people will be happy. But a couple decades before this, in 6, 7 AD, um, there was a big revolt because that's when this, this current tax, whenever Jesus is saying all this, that's when the tax plan that was in effect took place. It was put into place in 6 and 7 AD, and there was this big revolt, Jewish revolt, and, and Rome came in and dealt with it harshly. And, and so if Jesus began to teach the people, don't pay your taxes, he could have been arrested. And Rome did not really like people to upset the, uh, the, the apple cart. And so they would have let Rome take care of it. So he was stuck. Interestingly, this passage is actually referenced in Luke 23, 2 in Jesus' trial. Because in Luke 23, 2, they say one of the things they accuse Jesus of is he, he, he counsels people not to pay taxes to, to Rome. Of course, that's not the truth, but that's one of the things that they said. But that's their plan. They're going to send spies who pretend to be righteous. Quite possibly, they're going to send a couple of them who appear to be debating with one another. Two people, uh, Tom says, yeah, we need to pay taxes, and... and <coughs> Fred says, no, we shouldn't pay taxes. Hey, Jesus, what do you think? Mediate between us. They're pretending to be righteous, trying to trip him up, and, and that way they'll uh, throw him off the scent, hopefully. Now they assume, if you'll notice what it says, they assume he's going to say it's not lawful to pay tax because they, they plan on turning him over to the government. So they think Jesus is going to say, don't pay taxes. Now, next I want you to see their question. And we've already talked about this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. But look at verse 21. Flattery in verse 21. And try and butter him up. They, they try to appeal to any pride he might have. They say, teacher, you teach and speak correctly. You're not partial to anybody. You, you teach the way of God in truth. You do all these things. You shoot straight no matter who you're talking to. And so tell us. Is this, is this what we should do? Now, Now, what they said was absolutely correct. But they were saying the right thing from the wrong motives. And they say, is it permissible, is it lawful 
to pay taxes to Caesar. And personally, I wish that he would have said no. I could have, everybody could have given an amen to that, right? Even, even the frozen chosen in the Baptist churches, we all could have amen that one if he would have said no. But he doesn't. Now, once you see number three, his answer, look at verse 23. He detected their trickery. He knew their cunning. He knew they were not asking honestly. He knew they had a trick up their sleeve because he knows each man's heart. He knew what was in the heart of these men. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in my heart. He knows, he knows why you're here today. He knows if you have doubts. He knows of any pain or unbelief or faith or love that you have. He knows. But he doesn't give the answer they're expecting. They, they, they think it's a yes or no question. And so what does he say? He says, does anybody have a denarius? Anybody? Now, denarius was a coin, a Roman coin. There was a, a day's wages back then. And on it was the image, the, the picture of the emperor. And then there was an inscription, depending on the year, and the emperor, it would vary. But, but many times that inscription would talk about him being a god. And at the very least, it would say that he was, they call him chief priest. And so Jesus says, can I have a denarius? I, now, now in Jewish Palestine, they had different coins. They didn't have the picture, they didn't have the image of the Caesar. Still had the inscription, but not the image. But understand that, that foreign Roman coins were common. Because any place that the emperors, the, the, any place that the king's authority went... That's where his coin was recognized. In the same way today, if you go, if you go visit another country, let's say you, you travel and, and you come back and you have foreign currency. You have, let's say, some yen or some ruble or, or, or pesos, whatever it is, and you try to go to the store and buy a candy bar with some pesos, it's not going to work because there's a sphere of authority. There, there's, there's, a, there's a realm in which that, that money is good. That, that nation's authority only goes so far. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, yeah, you, you have this coin, and it, it has this image, and that, that shows that that's where the emperor's authority is, but there's a limit to that. Now, understand, when they produced this coin, they, they shot themselves in the foot, so to speak, because they were showing that they were in collusion with, they were, that they were cooperating with the government. Because they were the ones that had the coin. And if they say, is it right to pay this tax? And Jesus says, well, does anybody have a denarius? They say, yeah, we've got one. They're, they're holding the very coin that they're talking about paying taxes with. And so they're showing their duplicity here, their lack of truthfulness. But Jesus turns the table on them and he says, whose image and inscription are on the coin? And they say, of course, Caesar. And he says the, the famous passage, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And that's a, a brilliant answer, and I want to highlight a couple things from this and kind of, kind of tease out some of the implications. First, much to our chagrin, Jesus affirms we should pay taxes. I mean, that's, that's right on the face. He does not direct us to withhold tax dollars, even if we disagree with how they're being used. He says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Now, whether or not the amount of taxes we pay is just or not, that's a different discussion. But he does not say withhold tax monies. Second, Jesus teaches that there are spheres of authority. Now in the Bible there are four spheres of authority 
that we see. Number one, it, it started way back in the Garden of Eden is the family, the, the home. Then there's the church, there's the civil government, and then there's God. Now, in each of those spheres, there are certain persons who have authority. So in the family, the people that have the authority from God are the parents. Now, in America today, people seem to think that that's switched around and the kids have the authority, but that's not the way it is biblically. Parents have the authority. In the church, it's the pastor or pastors. In the government, depending on the type of government, it could be the kings, it could be the president, the congress, uh, governors, and so forth that act in accordance with, with the Constitution. Now, those are separate, distinct spheres of authority. And when all those operate as they're supposed to, everything works just fine. The problem becomes the, the problem comes about when people try, whether because of ignorance or because they're overstepping their bounds, to act outside of their sphere of authority. So, for instance, it would not be appropriate for me as your, uh, your pastor to come into your home and discipline your children. Right? Because that is not my sphere of authority. Your sphere of authority as a parent is to take care of that. I have, I have a role in the church. You have a role in the home. Likewise, it would not be proper for Congress to dictate what is preached in the pulpit. Why? Because the civil government has a sphere of authority. The church is a different sphere of authority. And the, the two things don't mesh. Now, all these spheres of authority coexist side by side under the authority of God. He's up here. Everything else is down here. And they work together in an ideal world. But problems arise when people or organizations try and overstep their bounds. And we can see this all throughout history. I mean, history is riddled with times when the government, for instance, tends to think that it's God. But Jesus made a distinction between government and God, and the state is not the Lord. When the government, when the state tries to be God, that's tyranny. And we've seen this even, even recently with COVID. In the last few years, there are places in the United States, especially places like California, up in Canada, all over the place, where the government has decided that it was God, that it was the Lord. And they said, churches, you can't meet. That's not their role. That's not their sphere of authority. They said, you can't meet, or if you do, here's how you have to sit. Here's how that they have arrested people and fined people for sitting in their cars. You remember when all the stuff was happening in 2020, one, one of the things that people tried to do, churches tried to do, is they would, they would have church services in their cars in the church parking lot, sitting by themselves, sometimes with their windows up. And there were cops that showed up and fined people for having services. That's tyranny. Because that is, not their, that is not their role. They don't get to choose who worships God, when they worship God. One of the things that they said was, if you meet, don't sing. You remember that rule? Don't sing, or if you do, sing real quiet. No! Let her rip! God's the one who chooses how He's worshipped, when He's worshipped, and by whom He's worshipped. That's tyranny. That's not the government's place. Now, do they have a legitimate right to say, we recommend that you do this? Yeah, they can do that. If, if, if a government wants to come hat in hand and say, we request this, we believe that this is the wise thing to do, here are clear, cogent reasons for this, yes. But the state is not the church. 
The state is not God. Likewise, the, the, the church is not the state. There have been times in history when, when the church has tried to, tried to have the role of the state and has ended disastrously there as well. Those are spheres of authority. They are distinct. And God says there's a sphere of authority with Caesar, pay him his taxes. There's a, a sphere of God which overrules all, and everything that happens is under his authority, under his control. And he is the ultimate authority that we must answer to. Didn't know I was going to get all the way off in there, did you? Listen, the Bible talks about the Christian's responsibility and how we, how we interact with the governing authorities and so forth. That's developed more by, by Paul and, and Peter. But the seed of it is here. And we recognize that all these spheres of authority, whether it be Caesar or something else, it's all under God. And that's why in, in the book of Acts, the governing authority said, don't preach, don't teach in Jesus' name and what the disciples say. Whether it's right to obey you or to obey God, you decide. But as for us, we can't help but tell what we've seen and heard. They defied the government. Now, just as this money, get back to the text, Jesus says, whose image is on here? And they said, the Caesar's. And he says, then give him what's his. And the implication is, You bear God's image, therefore give Him yourself. Give Him your all. Give Him everything. In the the Garden of Eden, God made man in His image. The image of God is what makes man valuable. That's why we we are unapologetically pro-life in this church. Why? Because God has put His stamp on people, so to speak. the, The image of God is present in every person, male and female, young and old. And he gives value to human life. And that's why the taking of human life is a capital offense. And finally, I want you to see their silence. Their silence. He tells them this, and they're amazed. They they can't catch him in any same. They couldn't trap him up. They couldn't fool him. They couldn't trap him. They, They couldn't get him to misspeak. And in amazement, they became silent. They were dumbfounded. Now, this isn't going to last because right after this, some more people come up and try and trick him. But these guys, he shut them down, quick, fast, and in a hurry. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And listen, friend, you need to render, you need to give up, you need to offer up to God the things that are his. If you have anything in this life, it came from him. You need to hold on to those things loosely. You need to give him your all. As a Christian, you need to give Him your all. You need to be willing, maybe, to, to serve Him in some capacity. You need to be willing to, 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 to offer a word of witness to somebody. You need to give Him your life. And it could be that today you've never done that. Maybe you are sitting here for the first time in, in, in your life. God is speaking to your heart and saying, You're a sinner and you need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Give your life to Christ. Repent of your sin. Turn to Him for salvation. It could be that you as a Christian need to remember the spheres of authority and remember that, again, the the state is not God. The government exists because God has instituted it. If, If the government leaders were hearing me today, I would urge them in strongest terms 
to remember that they're not God. They don't have the place of the Lord. And they need to bow the knee to Him. And for each of us here, as much as I hate to say it, pay your taxes. Won't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to encourage you to take stock of your life. Are you giving God your all? It's easy to say, no, I'm, I've, I've served God for X number of years. I'm going to kick back and coast the rest of the time I got left. They say, well, God, you can have all these areas of my life, but not these areas. Give him your all. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that so often we want to put ourselves on the throne. We want to have ourselves in the center of our lives, of our choices, decisions we make. We don't want to pray not thy will, but mine be, not my will, but thine be done, but we want to say not your will, but ours be done. God, I ask you to help each of us to be all in, as they, as they say, to, to give our whole selves to you. God, I pray that, that uh, you'd help each of us to, uh, to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to give you the things that are yours. And God, if there's somebody here who's never uh, given themselves to you, they've never confessed their sins, never turned from them, never put their faith in Christ, I ask that you would draw them to yourself today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.